All right. Does anybody remember what we're talking about for the past three, four months? Good job. Anybody else? What's the question we're asking? Anybody other than my sons want to answer? Thankful for that. So again, I don't think I've got to introduce the topic. We've been in this for a while based out of this scripture, and our goal is to do everything we possibly can to make sure at the end of Matthew 7, you feel comfortable that Jesus would know you. Over the last couple of weeks, you know, last week we were kind of, we took a different week, but the three weeks before that, we covered some difficult topics. We talked about where Jesus talked about storing up your treasures, heaven or earth. Who are you going to serve, God or money? You can't serve both. Why you shouldn't worry. And this week, I've got a taste of why this is so important for us. We've got to grasp this because there's a whole world of watered-down Christianity, and it's in our community. I had the opportunity to meet with a pastor. Probably one of the most honest but saddest comments I've heard in a long time. And I'm going to try to be very careful because this is a denomination that you could probably name off in the Bible Belt of the southern United States in about three seconds. And it's one of the biggest ones or most prominent ones in Maryville. Maybe the first one. I don't know. That was your hint. And he said to me that he's tired. I'm tired. For the last 10 years, all we talk about is five steps to be a better person. And we don't talk about Jesus. For 10 years. It blew me away. It made me sad. It almost made me sick to my stomach. For 10 years, we talk about self-help, not Jesus. And it was like in that moment, God showed me this is why it's so important that we understand it. Because each of us has to teach people where they are. we got to quit shying away from the conversations when we go out in public. Just because they say Jesus and say the words and maybe listen to a little K-love, doesn't know that they understand what it means to be known by Jesus. Okay? So today, we're going to enter into the home stretch of this message as we move into chapter 7. And I'm going to be begin today with a challenge. By this point, you should be getting your arms around the things that you need to know to work on yourself and your family, right? To be known by Jesus. But we've got to be out helping and talking to the people in our workplace, our schools, wherever we are. I don't care if it's the youngest ones that you're teaching at home, all the way up to the oldest ones that are retired. We all have a platform somewhere around us to be talking to people, and that's our challenge. We need to make sure that we're known by Jesus, but we need to help make sure everyone around us is known by Jesus too. Okay? So you might say, well, Jason, you just judge this other church, right? I just judge them, right? Right? And Christians shouldn't judge, should they? Didn't the Bible say, hang on, buddy, don't jump ahead. Didn't the Bible say that we're not supposed to judge people? Especially Christians, right? Isn't that what it says? 
Doesn't it say we're not supposed to, to, to judge? So my question back would be, what does the Bible say about judging others? Who in here was taught at some point in their life that you're not supposed to judge others? Okay. Who in here has had the word spoken to them, don't say that you're judging me? Okay. So I got good news for you. It's next on the list in Matthew chapter 7. And Jesus addresses it, and we're going to dive into it. Matthew 7, if you're following along in your Bible or on an app, Matthew 7, verse 1, Jesus says, do not judge others. Boom, there's your answer, right? Because that's where everybody stops. Do not judge others. There's a comma, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. If you were taught only the first part of that verse, it's not complete, okay? And we're going to dig into this. By the way, this is not a license. If you have to get up and go to the bathroom, you never make it back in here, you got to go. It's not a license to run out and start judging everybody, okay? you got to hear this in its entirety before you make a decision on how you're going to treat this scripture. And he goes on in verse 3, and he says, And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own eye? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me, get, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. So when we start to dig into this, we're going to see that Jesus actually gives us a choice on whether we want to judge or not. Okay? It's not a yes, you should judge and it's not a no, you shouldn't judge. you got a choice. Each of us has a choice. He says, don't judge, and you won't be judged, for you'll be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is a standard by which you will be judged. You see what he's doing there? If you don't want to be judged, just don't go judge anybody. But if you do judge, be prepared. You're going to get judged back exactly the same way. Okay, And he goes on in verses 3 through 5 to basically say in a nutshell, don't be a hypocrite if you're going to judge somebody. If you're going to judge, it's okay, but be ready to be judged back. You better not be a hypocrite. You better deal with what's going on in your own life before you go trying to help someone else. And isn't that what this whole sermon has been about is look inward before you go talking to other people. Look at what you need to work on before you go out. So at the beginning, I said something about another church in town. I judged them. That is true. But I am absolutely willing to be judged in return about talking about Jesus. If I quit talking about Jesus for one day, much less 10 years, I expect every one of you to come talk to me and judge me. Therefore, I'm okay with judging them. We're going to talk a little bit more about what judgment means and what we're going to do with it. But I'm okay with judging them because I expect you to judge me back at the exact same rate. Okay? It's an area I want to be judged. And if I'm not talking about Jesus, I want to be corrected. And if we look at the word judge, what do you think it means? What does it mean to be judged? Anybody got a guess? What's that? Evaluate. What are we evaluating? Whether someone is 
That's part of it. Whether someone's doing wrong, we're evaluating if they're doing wrong or right. Somebody said it. So to judge simply means to have an opinion, pronounce an opinion concerning right or wrong. So I want you to think about how many of you guys have been to court? Go ahead and raise your hands. <laughs> how many for worse than a speeding ticket? <laughs> All right. Y'all get to preach next week on how God turned you around, okay? <laughs> what are you doing in a court? What are you waiting on the judge? The judge, what's, he, what's his job? His job's to hear the facts and make a decision whether you're right or you're wrong. John said, render a verdict. What's the verdict? It's either guilty or not guilty, right? So that's a, whole, that's a judge's whole job in court is to prove you're right or wrong. Now, many of us have been to court because we got a little speeding ticket and we know we're wrong, but we're hoping we're still going to get the not guilty, right? Anybody been in that court before? Somebody, somebody not only raised their hand, they went. <laughs> so Jesus is saying, if you're going to pronounce if someone is right or wrong, you may need to get some facts before you do that, right? You may need to get data before you just, the judge doesn't come in and go, I don't like the way you look, pal. You're guilty. He may have done that to you, Norm. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> right? <laughs> or, hey, Joe, you look like a nice guy. You're not guilty. The judge doesn't do that. He hears facts. So there's a key point in here. Somebody said evidence. We've got to know what we're talking about before we make that decision if we're going to be judged. And then if we make that decision we're going to be judged, we better make sure we're looking at ourselves and make sure we're not doing the same thing because we're going to be judged the same way back. You follow me? So you got two choices. Don't tell them they're right or wrong. Or tell them they're right or wrong and be prepared to be told if you're right or wrong. And I think if you truly look at each situation that we're in, where it would be easy to judge, we might find that sometimes we need to judge and sometimes we need to stay the heck away from it. Okay? That's where God's wisdom comes in, and we're not always good at that, right? Right? Sometimes we need to shut up and look inward. And I'm very guilty of this. What's that? Quick to listen, slow to speak. So for me, maybe I can go ahead and judge this pastor or this church if they're not talking about Jesus, but maybe I need to shut up when it comes to the issue of if they have pride. Because as soon as I heard this, the first thing I thought was how much better I am or we are than them. Do you get my point? I'm going to judge them for not talking about Jesus. That's wrong. But I'm not going to judge them about pride because evidently God's showing me I've got a little bit I need to work on. Same scenario, a little different situation, okay? There are some facts here. Pastor tells me what they're doing. Man, that's terrible. That's wrong. Oh, there's some other facts. I think I'm better than you. <laughs> Don't judge. You with me? wrong for not talking about Jesus but I'm wrong for having a little bit of pride Jesus says judge at the rate you want to be judged but do not be a hypocrite 
Do you guys know what the number one turnoff is for people, for church and Christianity is? The number one turnoff. Hypocrite is part of it, but it's something else. It's a different way of saying hypocrisy or a different thing that leads to hypocrisy. Okay, you, you guys are doing good. He said double-mindedness. She said saying one thing, doing another. The number one turnoff for people for Christianity and church is infighting amongst Christians. <laughs> the number one turnoff is when Christians fight against Christians. And in that, by definition of a Christian hypocrisy, Jesus says we're supposed to be known for our love for each other, not for our fighting with each other, right? In unity, as Parker said. So in other words, the number one turnoff is hypocrisy. You guys answered it correctly. Jesus says we should be known by our love, and our love is the opposite of infighting. But it's so prevalent that outsiders or even church people are turned off. That's why there's so many, quote, Christians sitting at home not going to church. And I've been there, and many of you guys have been there, and maybe that's why you're here. Because we see that hypocrisy, and it's so prevalent. There's other forms of hypocrisy to blame as well, but it's something we've got to take very seriously when Jesus says, this is not just about judging, this is also about hypocrisy. These kind of go together, and we're going to build something here of how this goes together. So in other words, if we want to be attractive to the world, we want to be known by Jesus, we have to live out what Jesus says for us to do. Okay? The problem is a lot of our churches take that and go the opposite extreme and say anything goes. Anything goes. I'm going to love you no matter what you're doing, right? But then Jesus immediately says something that I think we often leave out of this verse or of this discussion. You know, we're really bad at taking do not judge unless you be judged. And then we go over here and we take treat others the way you want to be treated. And those are standalone messages to us. And Jesus is including them in a big topic. And we got to pull it back together. Verse 6, he says, don't waste what is holy on people who are un unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls, then turn and attack you. So Jesus is telling us, and just bear with me, we're building this. Jesus is telling us, don't waste your time telling a bunch of unbelievers how wrong they are. Because we do that. You're wasting your time. They're going to trample on you and turn around and attack you. So Jesus is telling us, judge those who are correctable. Judge those that need to be judged. Be careful when you judge that you're willing to be judged back. But quit wasting your time judging all these people that are totally incorrectable or uncorrectable. I don't know the right English term there. You're throwing your pearls before swine. Anybody ever heard that? See, if you just read that standalone, it means something totally different. But when you bring it into this, Jesus is talking about judgment. He's not saying anything goes. He's saying judge. We're going to get into this a little bit more in a few minutes. But judge if something is wrong, but make sure you're not being a hypocrite. And make sure you're ready to be judged at the rate you've judged. And quit judging people that don't care. You're wasting your time, and they're going to turn on you, and it's going to hurt when they do.
The question that I have is when we examine our lives, how many of us can think of a time we spent a lot of time casting our pearls before pigs? Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a coworker. How many of you guys have had one of those people in your life that for years you've tried to convert them? For years. And it goes nowhere. But see, that's what we were taught is you don't give up. You don't give up. You don't give up. And that's not exactly what Jesus says. Okay? Remember, there's a part coming up in this book where Jesus sent the disciples out, and he says, they don't listen to you, you dust your feet, take the blessing back and get out of there. They're worse off than Sodom and Gomorrah. So we've got to preach what the Bible says, not what Southern Christianity or American Christianity has made it into. Western Christianity, thank you. <laughs> but instead of walking away, realizing the fact that that person's a pig, we're wasting our time, we walk away with guilt that we didn't do enough. Or we walk away thinking that we are judgmental because that person tells us how judgmental we are to them. And it makes us hesitant to witness to someone else. So right now we got a couple of ideas out here that maybe you're struggling to figure out how the puzzle pieces fit together. Just a promise. Just bear with me. We start to begin to judge ourselves. If you're constantly throwing your, pig, your, your pearls in front of pigs, you start to judge yourself. What am I doing wrong? What am I not saying right to help this person convert? And I think that's what Jesus was worried about here. What did I not do enough? And I think that's the goal of that person, or I should say Satan, is that they want us to be less effective for someone who wants it. What Jesus is saying is be careful where you spend your time telling people if they're right or wrong. Let's take the word judge out of it. Be careful where you spend your time. Make sure you're not doing it with people that are uncorrectable, and make sure you fixed it in your heart before you go to them. You guys tracking with me? I'm going to give you an example, and I'm going to be very careful. I counseled a man for a year, and we met at least every two weeks for a full year. And I'm going to give you a little snippet of information. This is where i got to be careful. Uh, this man was in his 30s. This man was married and had two kids, had left his wife from another state, was living in Tennessee, literally in his parents' basement while he was sleeping around with other women. And he was coming to me, and his first question is, I don't know how to hear from God. Can you help me? And I'm like, oh, boy. And so this is not an uncommon thing to be brought in front of us, so I spend time with him, and I start asking him to do things. And every week he shows back up, and he's like, oh, my life is so terrible. I can't get a job here. I can't get my dang lawyer to go through with the divorce. And he's telling me all these things he's doing against what he should be doing, and he doesn't understand why God's not blessing him. So I'm trying to coach him, and I'm trying to teach him. And a year into it, one day a light bulb went off as I read this scripture. Man, he's not doing anything living for Christ, yet that's what he's hiding behind is that he's a Christian, and I'm throwing my pearls in front of pigs. And I asked him, I said, have you read that scripture that says something about throwing pearls in front of pigs? And he goes, yeah. He said, are you calling me a pig? And I said, I'm telling you I've cast my pearls, and I'm tired of it. 
And he goes, well, I already knew that. It just took you a lot longer to figure out. See, I lived this out. I was doing everything I could to try to help this man out of a pit, and he didn't want it. And that's what Satan will do to us is have us waste our time over there trying to help someone that doesn't want help. And that's what that means. The scripture doesn't say stay and argue. It doesn't say prove them right. I just kept thinking if I just do enough and I keep telling him it's going to click one day. Because, see, for me, I had to be told a thousand times before it clicked. So I thought that's what I would do with him. I'll just keep telling him and telling him and telling him. But Jesus says don't do that. You don't have to prove them right. You don't have to stay and argue. It doesn't mean you're not a good witnesser. It means they don't want it. Sometimes we've got to realize that we're not the Holy Spirit. There's a big lesson to learn in this. Okay? It's the Holy Spirit's job to do the conviction. The Holy Spirit may put us in a place with a person for us to walk with them and give them help and tell them what's right or wrong and keep evaluating to make sure we're not wrong as we tell them what's wrong. We're starting to build a picture here. I can't tell you how many times Satan has put people in front of us in counseling, and they'll even pay us to tell us what's wrong with them, and then they turn on us, and they spread all kinds of nasty stuff about us, and they call us judgmental. Wait, wait a second, you asked me to tell you if you were right or wrong. I told you you were wrong. I've looked and made sure I wasn't doing that in my life, and now you're mad at me because I judged you? So I think what Jesus is saying is we got to be careful when we judge what we're doing internally and who we're judging. You picking up on that theme? Now, I've talked to some people about this scripture, and they are telling me that I am totally misconstruing Matthew 7. Jason, you are totally misconstruing it. That is not what Jesus is saying. He is not saying that you should judge these people. So I'm going to balance it out with a little other scripture. We're going to move off the Sermon on the Mount for a minute and go over to 1 Corinthians. You guys ever read 1 Corinthians? Okay. What? Test the spirits. Yeah, there's some good stuff there. And I'm going to say if there was ever a church in scripture that resembled the church in the United States of America, it may have been the church in Corinth. Why do I say that? Paul shows up in Corinth, and guess what? The first thing he talks about is division in the church. Do we see that in our churches? Then he talks about arguments over who the best leader is. These people are like, well, I follow Paul, and I follow Apollos. And wouldn't that kind of be like us going, well, I follow Stephen Furtick, and I follow Joel Olstein, and I follow Billy Graham, instead of saying I follow Jesus. Then he's talking about people who are relying on their own wisdom versus God's wisdom. We see that every day. Then he's talking about spiritual pride. See that every day. Then he talks about Christians suing Christians. See that every day. Then he talks about sexual sin being rampant in the church. We see that, unfortunately. He talks about marriages being a wreck. (laughs) He talks about idols being worshipped instead of Jesus. He talks about their worship being all out of whack and out of order. He talks about Lord's Supper and communion being done wrong. Nobody knows their spiritual gifts. This is sounding a lot like America, right? Everybody's trying to be like somebody else instead of understanding their role in the body. They're trying to be like 
somebody else in the body. Love is being misconstrued. Nobody understands what it means. Tongues and prophecy are being used incorrectly. People aren't tithing, and I can go on and on and on. And I think there's probably a whole sermon here about how the church in Corinth looks like the church in the United States. But there's a point that I'm getting to. If you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I'm going to read the whole chapter. Paul says, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you. Something that even pagans don't do. I told you that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. You are so proud of yourselves, you should, but you should be mourning and sorrow and shame. Now, before you get too far into, ooh, this is gross. This guy's sleeping with a stepmother. Yes, it's nasty. I get that. But don't pigeonhole to that when we got a whole church in America addicted to pornography and people cheating on people and pastors sleeping with their secretaries and all kinds of stuff, okay? So don't be thinking that Paul's talking about something that going on in our own churches, all right? He says, you're so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning and sorrow and shame, and you should remove this man from your fellowship. Even though I am not with you in person, I am with you in spirit. And as though I were there, I have already passed judgment on this man in the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul was not even in the same town, not in the church, but he said, I've already passed judgment on this man. So please don't tell me I misconstrued Matthew chapter 7. He says, you must call a meeting of the church. I will be present with you in spirit, and so will the power of our Lord Jesus. You must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan so that his sinful nature will be destroyed and he himself will be saved on the day the Lord returns. Did you hear that? you got to get him out. Now, let's, again, step back. There's a couple things that are going on. This man's leaving, living in sexual sin, and they're bragging about it. They're okay with it. Wouldn't that be kind of like a church that just blatantly accepts homosexuality? Or maybe tells a man, you know, it's okay that you're looking at pornography. You're not physically sleeping with anybody. And they justify the sin. That's my analogy of what he's really talking about here. And he says, you've got to get this guy out. Because when you get him out and you hand him over to Satan, he has a chance of being corrected. Because right now, you're not, you're not correcting him. And when you don't correct him, you're dooming him to hell. So now we're starting to take a little bit different picture on why we may should judge or not. You need to judge this man and get him out so he can be handed over to Satan to deal with his problems so maybe he will be saved on the day that the Lord returns. Or you can keep coddling him and enabling him to live in that sin and tell him it's okay and Jesus' blood will cover it and you're dooming him to hell. So I want you to think about this. This is, man, this is a tough message. It's like, was not the money one hard enough and the worry one? And now we got to go, bam, right into this one. If I don't judge somebody correctly, they may go to hell. This is serious. He says, you're boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? You leave the sin unchecked, it ruins everything. Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. Then you will be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So let us celebrate the festival, not with the old bread of wickedness and evil, but the new bread of sincerity and truth. When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. 
but I wasn't, this is, this is where it's about to get good, but I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You'd have to leave this world to avoid people like that. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer. Do not associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worships idols or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. And Here's the slammer. Verse 12. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, meaning outside the church, outside the believers. But it is certainly your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside, but the scriptures say you must remove the evil person from among you. Are you getting a picture here? Because now we got it in the red letters, and we got it from the guy that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. It's not our job to judge unbelievers. It's our job to judge believers. And believers have it exactly opposite. We'll stand on a street corner and tell somebody they're going to hell. Not any of us, I know. But like with a microphone at a UT game, you're going to hell if you don't repent from your sin. Doesn't that sound like judging probably some unbelievers walking down the road? Paul says, our job is to judge the people that should know better. Jesus said, make sure you're not doing it. So if I'm going to go and talk to a guy about getting rid of the sexual sin, I better make sure I'm not doing it. I'm going to go talk to a guy about quit lying. I better make sure I'm not doing it. I'm going to talk to somebody about not cheating people. I better make sure I'm not doing it. And you do it with believers. That's who you're supposed to tell who they're right or wrong, not unbelievers. That's God's job. Remember what I said earlier about we try to be the Holy Spirit sometimes? Remember when Jesus said, don't throw your pearls in front of pigs? Are you getting the picture now? Peter, I'm sorry, Paul and Jesus are telling you we have to judge and hold accountable the people that are believers, the church. Remember, we've twisted the word church to mean this building or this congregation, but when they were saying these words, the word church means a person, a believer. More specifically, Paul is using a word here that translates literally to the inner soul of those among us. It is my job to judge your inner soul. It is your job to judge my inner soul, to tell me if I'm right or wrong. It is not our job to judge the inner soul of a non-believer. That's God's job. We got this all backwards. We're out here telling unbelievers how wrong they are and how they're going to go to hell if we're witnessing, and our job is to be keeping each other accountable. Because if we don't keep each other accountable, what happens? We become hypocrites and we start infighting and it turns people off. It makes it a little harder for God to do his job, right? If we don't judge each other and hold each other accountable, we're enabling people to go to hell. That's what Paul says. You got to get this guy out, hand him over to Satan so his sinful nature can be destroyed so that he himself will be saved on the day the Lord returns. You've got to deal with this stuff, and it's so tough because we immediately go to, oh, crap, if I mess up, Jason's going to tell me i got to get out of the church. That is not what we're saying. I'm saying that we have to approach each other in love and hold each other accountable, and you've got to do the same thing for me. If you keep telling this man it's okay, and the story that Paul's talking about is he's doomed for hell, and he doesn't even know it. 
And all of it's being done under the premise of we are not supposed to judge. There is someone in my personal life, and if I've heard this person tell me once, they've told me a thousand times, don't judge me. And here's the funny thing. I never did. I never told them they were wrong. It's people's go-to. I can say something as simple as I'm going to pray for you. Well, don't judge me every time you say this like I don't have enough faith. (laughs) I'm not judging you. That's your own guilty conscience. But if we stick behind this, we shouldn't judge as Christians. We're going against what Jesus said. We're going against what Paul said. Let's be honest. How much sexual sin is creeping into the modern church and being swept under the rug like it's not happening? Pornography, homosexuality, people lusting after people. Jesus has already talked about that. But Paul didn't end there. He talked about a lot of other things. You can go back through that. He talked about cheating others. He talked about following Ida. I mean, he talked about a lot of things there. Greedy. Worships other things that aren't God. Abusive. I think that includes mental, physical, verbal, sexual, spiritual. A drunkard. Cheats people. So we started with the question of can we judge as Christians? Should we judge? And Paul's telling us if we don't judge the inner soul of these believers, we're potentially sending them to hell. I think what Paul and Jesus are getting at is, guys, we are supposed to be set apart. We are supposed to be holy. Holy means to be set apart. Righteous, holy, whichever word you want to use means to be different. We are expected as believers to be different. That means we're going to be held at a higher standard. So when you took on this badge, if I'm going to accept Jesus and I want him to know me, you stepped into a world of a higher standard. And if we can't help each other and encourage each other and judge each other, the question is, do you really want to wear that badge? Doesn't this message kind of seem like a way to thin out a church, not build a bigger church? (laughs) Yeah, iron sharpens iron. Thank you. And guys, we've experienced this in our own little bitty church. And most of you know it. When you lovingly approach people about their sin, golly, they can turn on you and say all kinds of evil things and leave a path of destruction and call it judgment, unnecessary. And maybe, just maybe, that's why Jesus is about to say that the gate to enter heaven is narrow. You see how this is a continual thing he's talking about? I don't know if you realize it or not, but Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is not really a seeker-friendly, soft message. (laughs) It's full of challenges. Just when you thought you made it through some of the hardest part, you get smacked in the face. Before we get to that, get that narrow gate, let's go ahead and hit verses 7 and 9. It says, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You parents, if, you, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? 
If you take verses 7 and 9 and pull them out of the Sermon on the Mount and read those, you're like, dang, I need to ask God for a new car and for a new house and for all kinds of stuff because it says right here that he's going to give me good gifts. Or maybe, just maybe, Jesus is saying, keep seeking what you need to fix so you're not a hypocrite. Keep seeking who you need to judge and quit seeking who you don't judge. You with me here? This is where it gets real dangerous. If we start pulling out two or three verses and we don't look before and we don't look after and we don't understand the context, it means something totally different. This is not about you getting a good gift from God. This is about God being so good that if you're searching inward, he's going to show you what you need to change. He's going to show you if the people you are judging are worthy to be judged or if you should back off. He's going to show you if there's a log in your eye. You with me? Thank you. I got one with me. <laughs> if you keep asking God to show you what to work on, what you need to change, he will show you. But you got to be persistent. You got to keep asking. You can't ask one day a week. You can't ask one day a year. You got to keep asking him and stay sharp on what you need to change about yourself. Then he hits us in verse 12 with what we call the golden rule. Do, other, do, unto, do to others what you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. How many of y'all were taught that this means be nice to people? Be nice to people and they'll be nice to you. Are you getting the context now? This is a totally different meaning. Do unto others what you would like them to do to you. Would you like someone to tell you if you're wrong so you don't go to hell? I would. Please tell me if I'm doing something wrong so I don't go to hell. And I'll do it to you too. And we'll all be in heaven together. Okay? That's a little different meaning than be nice and everybody will be nice to you. This soft, I can't use the word I was going to use. This soft garbage that we've turned this scripture into, it's not what it means. You've got to look at it in the full context. It's not some warm and cuddly little new American church translation. Be nice. Be nice and everybody will be nice to you. It's an extension of the beginning of the chapter. Jesus actually says it twice. He says it at the very beginning. Judge the way you want to be judged. Treat others the way you want to be treated. And he comes back and says it again. Can't carve this out. Don't judge unless you're ready to be judged. Don't be a hypocrite. Keep asking God what you need to work on, change, repent from. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Or maybe... He could go back to the very first words of judge the way you want to be judged. You can't, just, you can't just take these scriptures and pop them out. If I'm doing wrong, I want you to judge me, correct me. But I want you to do it in a loving way. And my commitment to you is I'm going to do it to you in a loving way. I still think there's a lot of other scripture that tells us how to tell somebody they're wrong. So I want to be careful. This is not a license. I said it earlier. I don't want to, please tell me we're not going to hear this week. Everybody's walking around being critical and telling everybody everything they're doing wrong. By the way, this is about sin. This is not about I don't like the way you worship. I don't like the way you drive. Well, maybe it's sin if you're breaking the law. But anyway, it's not talking about things you don't like about a person. It's talking about sin. Let's be very clear. This is not a license to develop a critical spirit and go tell everybody what they're doing wrong. Like a son that's poking his dad right now. But we can't dummy down or soften this message. 
into a format we want to hear. And that's the problem with most of the Bible is we've dummied it down to something we want to hear instead of what we need to hear. If Jesus wanted this to be a soft, warm, cuddly message, why would he follow it with verse 13? You can only enter God's kingdom. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few will ever find it. Did you hear that? Only a few will ever find it. The gate is narrow, but only a few will find it. That's not what we get in a lot of church teaching and what we've heard about some of this scripture. And I don't want you to walk out of here with fear. Oh my gosh, this gate's narrow. How in the world am I going to find it? You've spent the last four months being told how to find it. Okay? If you need help with it, come talk to me. We'll engage in it together. We'll do the iron sharpens iron. We'll help each other expose it so we can find it together. And I'm going to say that I believe in 2020, it was the year of exposing a lot of churches. We've said this before. I believe this was the, 2020 was the year to expose churches and Christians. If you don't know what I mean by that, come ask me. I'll be happy to tell you. And I think 2021 is a year that we are supposed to evaluate where we are with Jesus. If we're the Christian that we say we are, and we're going to be held to a higher standard that Jesus expects, We've got to always be looking to repent and change. Everything about this scripture is looking. God said in Genesis that he would not flood the earth again because we are evil people. We are born with evil thoughts because of what Adam and Eve did. So our whole life, we're going to have to spend time asking God to show us what to change. And if we do, and we make those changes, and we're always trying, we don't have to be perfect, that's the grace part, and we'll get through that narrow gate that few will find. Or we can go the highway to hell. Misled because Christians around us don't love us enough to tell us what we're doing wrong. Or they give us false directions because they don't understand the Scripture. And you know, I saw a bumper sticker. We were somewhere in North Carolina, and it said, the fact that there's a highway to hell, say how'd it go? Something about a highway to hell versus a stairway to heaven? I ought to tell you, and it's playing off two songs, obviously, I ought to tell you something about the amount of traffic that's expected in each one. So guys, I know this is a tough, 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 tough message, and you may struggle with what to do with it this week, and all I can ask you to do is come and ask questions. I've been struggling with it too. But keep asking God, what do I need to fix? What do I need to fix in me? And the more you ask that and the more you work on it, the more you will be prepared to help others with things they need to work on. And if we're constantly asking each other, it won't seem so bad like judgment. If you come up to me and say, Jason, what do I need to work on? And I give you something in love. That's not judgment. I'm trying to help you. And I would expect the same from you. So this whole series is about what does it mean or what does it take to be known by Jesus? And I think what he's saying in this whole scripture is you want to be set apart. You've got to act a whole lot. You've got to be constantly evaluating. We're getting really close. We're, we just finished verse 13, and, and the scripture that we're getting to is verse 21. It's almost like he saved the hardest, best part for last. But this whole thing has been about are you going to continue to evaluate your life? 
Are you going to continue to look for the things you need to change and help those around you that are willing to be helped? Quit wasting time on people that don't want to be helped. And say don't help them. Try to help them, and if they don't want it, walk away. Let the Holy Spirit do the job. I'm going to pray. Father, I know this is a tough message, but please help us to understand. Please help us to understand what your son Jesus was telling us when he talked about judgment. Please help us to understand the wisdom that you gave Paul when he talked about it, the challenges that he gave to the church in Corinth. Father, I believe that we as the American church are so much like the church in Corinth. Help us to see the areas that we need to work on, that we need to repent, that we need to change. And help us to have the courage to love the person in front of us that we're walking with enough, to love them enough to help them and point out when they're wrong. But help us to make sure that when we take that step, that we are looking internally to make sure we don't have the same problem. Father, give us wisdom to know who to judge and who to walk away from so we're not casting our pearls in front of pigs. Show us who we need to have those tough discussions with, even if they walk away from us. If they walk away from us and it saves their life and they go to heaven, help us to have the courage to do that without judging ourselves that we've done something wrong. So, Father, this is a tough scripture. This is a tough lesson. I'm just asking you to give us understanding. Give us understanding of how to apply this to our lives and how to apply this to the people that we walk with as the body, not just in this church, but the people we come in contact with every day that may be hearing these soft messages about self-help versus what it takes to get into the narrow gate. And Father, I pray as much as anything that every person in this room or that hears this will walk through that narrow gate with each other, that we'll walk arm in arm through that narrow gate, Father. Please help us to know your son and help him to know us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.